The Kennedy Paradox, Chapter 11. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Washington, D.C., Monday, February 27, 1961, 11.35 a.m. The atypical warmer weather provided a false illusion of spring. Patch walked with Mankiewicz along the White House's black iron fence. The spring breeze ruffled his lightweight orange Barton College windbreaker. Mankiewicz wore a wrinkled cocky jacket. The White House grass, velvety green even at the end of February, blanketed the grounds like a transplanted Irish hillside. Through the beech and oak trees, along the circular asphalt drive, the White House columns glistened in the late winter sunlight. Is this the north or south portico? asked Patch. Mankiewicz raised his left brow. Ah, this is the north portico, Patch. Huge cars and taxicabs, as well as a few trucks, spewed stinky fumes down Pennsylvania Ave. Can't believe that a young Jack Kennedy is in there working. Is he the youngest president? Mankiewicz rifled through his pants and his jacket pockets. What's the matter, Ray? You look like you have ants in your pants. I left my cigars in the car. They approached two wide iron gates surrounded by four marble columns with pediments. The larger gate accommodated vehicles and the narrow gate led to a sidewalk that followed the circular drive to a side entryway with narrow columns. Not much security here. Those were decent cigars. Not Cuban, but a good cigar. And Teddy Roosevelt was younger when he became president after McKinley was shot. Patch held the iron fence railing and looked across the lawn. We have offices in the old executive office building. It's that great dinosaur next to the White House. Patch glanced at the bulky building and then faced Mankiewicz. Ray, I went into great detail about Sector 13 for your report in the mechanics of time displacement. Yes, you did. Well, I believe you, but they don't. Mankiewicz held the fence with one hand as if he were on a subway train heading for a stop. It's just too much to say that somebody came back from 1986 talking about nuclear bombs in cities. Well, they just don't believe it. Patch exhaled toward the busy street. What do they believe? They are convinced you're working for the Soviets or the Cubans. Just why do you believe me, Ray? Listen up, Patch. I believe you when you said that little bit about my mother-in-law. Nobody knew about me burning those letters. Nobody. What about what I said about the chamber in Sector 13? Well, I guess maybe I wanted to believe that my work will be successful. I knew these theories made sense, so they must have worked in the future. All my work wasn't in vain. It wasn't in vain. As a matter of fact, it's your work that may save us all. I believe you. But you'll have to convince people who are by nature cynical, suspicious, and intelligent. The information I give out is going to be selective. Why? These people aren't going to screw around, Patch. Hold out the carrot and protect myself at the same time. Mankiewicz strolled along with him past a couple of aging tourists taking pictures in front of the White House. The rotund lady with white hair asked Mankiewicz to take a picture of her and her husband. She handed him a German 35mm camera. Mankiewicz lined up the shot with the White House in the background. Then he pushed the shutter. Hey, I got you both, said Mankiewicz as he advanced the film. Mankiewicz gave the camera back to her. Maybe we got the president and Jackie in the background. Well, maybe, said Mankiewicz, grinning. His eyes were focused on the White House when he returned to Patch at the fence. Just don't get yourself killed, Patch. The 
fear of getting killed prompted most men into hasty decisions. Patch had to remove the primary 1986 players off the 1961 stage. That meant stopping Higgins from defecting or killing Eric Bonheim and Carlos Sanchez. Or maybe just Carlos. The tension escalated with each new day. People in high places would begin asking him questions and would demand answers with this Cuban thing brewing. When the traffic ceased, a medium-built man in a Navy sport coat walked forward. He had dark hair, a square jar, and a ruddy face. With a stealth-like gait, he tossed the cigarette aside and stepped onto the sidewalk. In his forties, his dark hair trimmed, his facial lines deep at close range, he maintained a fixed smile. He stopped as if he were taking a photo inside his head. He looked left, then right, and then proceeded to the fence. Makowitz motioned Patch forward. This is Patch Kincaid. Choden had thin brows, blue eyes, and a crooked incisor smile and lines stamped across his forehead. Too many hours of work and maybe the smoking had produced the beginnings of bags under his right eye. He spoke with a sharp Texas accent. Have I seen you in Havana or was it Mexico City, Captain? What? asked Patch, taken off guard. Who do you know in Mexico City? I don't have any idea what you're talking about. I need to know what happened to Kate Landers. Choden glared at Patch. Then he reached in his coat pocket and removed a gold cigarette case. His silver lighter flared. After he inhaled on the cigarette a few times, he stepped close to the Patch. You listen to me, Kincaid. We do the asking here. It was a simple question, said Patch. In Mexico City, you meet many people, Kincaid. Many people from many places. He constantly dragged on the cigarette as he panned the White House grounds. Then he turned. Hey, the Russians would love to know about this country, wouldn't they, Kincaid? I don't know the answer to that. I have spoken at length to Kate Landers. Is she all right? Again, he paused, which aggravated Patch. She outlined a rather fantastic story about time travel from 1986. No specifics. However, your name surfaced throughout the story. But is she all right? Choden smiled. You know about Operation Zader in detail and more. I will, of course, bring you to Kate Landers. Is it too much to tell me if she's all right? Minkowitz approached Choden. Mike. Choden did not look at Minkowitz as he walked up to the fence and held the rails. I think you're one hell of a liar, Kincaid. Right, this guy is accomplishing nothing. Just cooperate with what he wants, Patch. Choden maintained a calm voice as he held the cigarette by his side. The smoke twisted in front of his blue eyes. He produced a lip smile and crunched his forehead wrinkles. This attack on the United States in 1986, who was responsible? Minkowitz twisted his mouth. Yes, who was responsible? Mr. Choden, you won't believe anything I say. He knows the displacement equations, Mike. He's from the future. Choden's mouth hung open like a dog in need of water. Very well. I suggest that we negotiate a compromise of goodwill. I will agree to bring you to your Miss Landers. Can I call you Patch? Sure. Just construct the pieces of your futuristic puzzle, Patch. Not the scientific part. We'll leave that to Ray. Patch's reluctance to divulge anything would keep him safe. Misusing the information jeopardized his immediate goal of stopping Higgins and killing the others. This will be on my terms, Choden. 
Go right ahead. Patch crossed his arms and leaned against the fence. Harris Tilson is somebody else you must apprehend. Goes by the name of Andre Mousseau. He was in part responsible for financing the 1986 operation. Check him out. Choden exposed his crooked teeth as he grabbed Patch's arms. Patch here is keeping the rest of his cards to his chest. At least we get them all. And I'm sure he wants to see goodwill on our side. Very well, I'll make some phone calls about this Tilson alias Mousseau. Mankowitz raised his brows. He's just playing it smart is what he's doing. Choden's face tightened. Ray, I'm putting you on administrative leave. Pulling you out of the college for a while. Good. I was going to ask that. Thought I was being put out to pasture up there in New Jersey. Choden next put his hand on Patch's shoulder. Hey, don't think I'd berate your strategy, Patch. I'd do the same thing. You don't believe I came back in time. No, I don't. But I do believe that you have information that you will give me in your own way. Choden motioned him down the sidewalk. Actually, Miss Landers is right here in the city, just a few blocks away. Choden enunciated each syllable and phrase as he lectured. Patch, we live in volatile times. There are forces all around us that would like nothing more than to see the destruction of the United States of America. Do you understand? That's true in my time also. Who are you? A man who has a limited time here. Patch looked at Mankiewicz. I'm not sure of the retrograde time, the time I had left. That's the time until he's drawn back into the future, Mike. Choden watched Patch's eyes as he stood. You used Colonel Kincaid's son's identity, didn't you? He's my father, and Abe Lincoln is my old man. I'll make you this promise, and you can pass this on to your people. I will give you more information once I verify Kate is alive and well. Choden maneuvered himself within a few inches of Patch's face. Dan Preslin told me that you've been giving information to Raul Gonzalez. I don't know any Preslin or Gonzalez. Maybe you know him as Danny Boy. Patch shook his head as Choden had an arrogant tone and he raised his voice. Is Carlos Sanchez defecting or not? Patch got that same feeling in his stomach as when he first parachuted from a transport plane but he didn't flinch. I don't know any of these men or anything about Cuba. Come on, Mike, grumbled Makowitz. Choden gave him a subtle smile. Let's go for a trip to the EOB to meet Bob Dietrich. Is Kate over there? asked Patch. I think it's a good probability, answered Choden. You damn people, you're so sure of yourselves. It's like you make all the rules, you set all the boundaries. Instead of treating me in a civil way, you come on like I'm the one who's done something wrong. Have you? <laughs> he asked with a smirk. Are there electronics factories in Mintz? Tell me about AC Rav. You're starting to piss me off, Choden.